Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mortis and Tenon podcast. This is episode two. Uh, I'm Mike, uh, and this is Joshua. And uh, we've actually been really looking forward to recording this episode. Uh, as strange as it sounds, uh, recording podcasts is actually a lot of fun. Um, we've found ourselves talking about it a bit this week and things that we'd like to talk about and cover in the future of this podcast. So uh, yeah, we really welcome all your input, uh, comments, questions, suggestions, different things like that. So keep interacting with us. Yeah, definitely. So Joshua and I have been busy uh, over the past few weeks. Uh, I myself have been doing a lot of uh, video editing and cleaning up of the tables video. And that is just about ready to go out. Um, I've found that the devil is in the details with these kinds of things. Uh, we can get, you know, hours of editing and things like that and get, get clips put together. But uh, it's the tiny things like transitions and little audio jumps and things like that that need to be dealt with that, that take much more time, actually. Uh, so well, we've been... We, we had a lot of footage. We, yeah, we had, I don't know what it was, 15 hours of footage. Yeah. Uh, it's the the video is going to end up being a two disc set, but it's less than four hours for the final final thing for for this entire table build. Uh, and so a big part of it is uh, just Joshua and I interacting, going back and forth about um, we have these uh, video sequences and we want to make sure that what's being done is being described well enough to be instructive, but not over described. We don't want to be repetitive. Right. Um, yeah, we, we want to say just, Joshua wants to say just the right thing to uh, clearly describe what's going on. So a lot of our interactions, I've been doing a lot of the editing at home on the computer, and a lot of our interactions are we'll view the video clips that have been edited, and he will give his input and say, oh, cut this a little bit shorter, make this, you know, maybe hold this this shot a little longer to show what's going on or things like that. So yeah. it's turned out great. I'm really excited. I mean, it really was when I saw the amount of footage we had and all that, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is yeah. all over the we place. We were afraid it was going to end up being, you know, six hours long and like <laughs> three discs. We can't we can't do that. No, no, no. way. Um, so, yeah, so, no, it, it turned out really great. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I am, too. Uh, so we're going to look to have that up. Um, we're hoping for next week that it's all put together and then you can look, uh, check our blog for more updates on that when it comes out for streaming, uh, for digital download, and also in the DVD format. Yeah, definitely. It'll be awesome. Yeah. Long time coming. Long time coming. Yeah. <laughs> it will be uh, exciting to have out. Yeah. And I just I just last night uh, put in the store our new sticker, which yeah. is the, uh, the goofy sticker. Uh, it says, uh, kill your table saw. There's sort of. there's nothing goofy about it. We're, <laughs> We're dead serious. <laughs> dead serious. <laughs> no, um, it's you know obviously it's a spoof on Kill Your Television, and it's just sort of a um, uh, making fun of ourselves about the, how zealous we are for hand tools, and uh, it, it's just a goofy sticker that's a lot of fun. So we've gotten some good feedback about it since we put it up. Yeah, people are excited. A bunch of people said. I don't know. I love my table saw, but that sticker's pretty yeah, funny. But I'm going to buy the sticker and I might even put it on the table saw. So, yeah, so, that's good. been a lot of fun. Um, we, uh, you know, we we like having um, messages like this that are uh, 
perhaps maybe prod some conversation forward, but uh, uh, this this sticker is one that I am very proud to fly on my my car. <laughs> I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, and I've been as Mike has been uh, deep into the the tables edit. I've been up on a roof of yeah. the shop working on the roof, doing some actual physical labor. Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I have I have my and... mouse wrist thing going, my mouse elbow. My, you know, in total, my hand is moving. You know, back and forth like three inches at a time on the mouse and on the keyboard. But Josh was up on a roof, dragging lumber up and yeah, up and down ladders. Yeah, I mean it's not the most fun woodworking. You know, it's right two by fours and uh, big screws and insulation and stuff. But uh, it's coming together, and so I'm it's looking forward to steps that need to be done. Yeah, getting that so. buttoned up. So yeah, we we finished uh, the interior sheathing, and then I just went right in the roof. So we're hoping to get this thing closed in before too much snowfall comes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's exciting. Um, but what else? Yeah. What else out, going on? So out outside of the M and T bubble, uh, what have uh, what have you been checking out in the broader world of woodworking? Um, well, I have. I know you also just got um, from Truths to Tools. Yeah. Uh, by Jim Tolpin and George Walker. Yeah. And we both actually just got that, and we've been reading through it. Um, I'm excited uh, to read that. I love there are two other books that uh, were published by Lost Art Press. Um, and this one is is just as great. It's awesome. It's really entertaining. My my eight year old loves it. So we're gonna try to weave this into our homeschooling curriculum and uh, teach him some of this basic geometry. And it, it's great because it shows how uh, how practical geometry is and how it relates to real life stuff. And so it's just made him excited and me excited. So I, I've been really liking the book. Yeah, yeah, we've been it? flipping through it and uh, reading through. And I, I, yeah, I totally like the practicality of, of it, uh, the way it, it conveys, you know, pure geometry to um, showing how these tools can convey this very pure geometry. Because when you're talking about things like points and lines and curves, um, in a geometric sense, you don't always see how that is practically applied. And this book uh, does a really good, in a, in a fun way, does a good job of unpacking that. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're also looking forward to using it to help teach our kids and also to help uh, teach us a, uh, a little bit better, just to have a better understanding of how, how things work. Yeah, definitely. It's a cool book. I definitely recommend looking at it. Um. And I guess the other thing that I've been enjoying is watching uh, Dan, a guy named Dan Schwenk uh, from Red Rose Reproductions. Uh, watching his Instagram feed has been pretty fun. Um, his name, his Instagram tag is uh, Red Rose Reproductions. Um, and he's got a lot of really cool videos of like, uh, like super precise woodworking, really close videos of these. It almost reminds me of those... Uh, what do you call them? Oddly, the oddly satisfying kinds oh, yeah. of videos. It's yeah. kind of like that. Like, wow, look at this yeah. guy work. This super precise, uh, you know, fitting of a of a wedge or whatever. He's cutting out a, a an escapement for a side escapement plane. Uh, lots of cool stuff. So I'd definitely che uh, recommend checking his feed out. Really cool stuff. His planes are gorgeous. Mm. Um, all of his work is just, he's a machinist. So it's just like super precise, immaculate work, really inspiring stuff. So check out Red Rose Reproductions for sure. Yeah, another um, Instagram account to check out is uh, Reed Beverly Tradecraft, uh, R-E-I-D 
Beverly Tradecraft. Reed is a friend of ours who came uh, all the way from Virginia to help us with our last packing party. Uh, and as it turns out, he is an amazing craftsman. Right now, he's he's been working on a, a Duncan Fife uh, couch, you call yeah, it, sofa. right, sofa. Yep. Uh, it's just amazing. He just put up a video that uh, Joshua and I had seen and we're talking about it. Uh, you know, it's, it's just immaculate workmanship. And uh, Reed is a fun guy, and you can tell his personality just comes through and stuff that he posts. So uh, check him out, Reed Beverly Tradecraft. Yeah, I never really understood the design of those sofas. Oh, my God. <laughs> you look at the legs, and they're... <clears throat> They're so curved. It's like it always blows my mind. Yeah. And actually, they're, they're usually doweled in to the frame. It just blows my mind that all the weight of three yeah. sitters. How it's not just shearing be... the grain right off. Yeah. <laughs> That's a crazy design, but beautiful. Really, it is really absolutely beautiful. beautiful. So, um, uh, A few things I've been reading lately. I've been reading a Maine author. Uh, he lives in Western Maine. His name's Bern Heinrich. Uh, he is or was, I actually... Um, don't know if he is still, I think he's still alive. Well, I know he's still alive. I don't know if he's still working as a professor from the oh. university of Vermont. He is still alive. Uh, but, uh, he lives in Western Maine and he is, um, he's one of these people that, uh, it seems like could, could take a walk through the woods and see everything that no one else notices. Um, so I've been really reading him in an effort to better understand, um, you know, where raw materials come from. It's kind of the difference in mentality from uh, like the lumberyard mentality for wood. It's like going to a grocery store and thinking your food comes from a grocery store yeah. uh, rather than sort of understanding the broader picture of the woods and the trees and how how that ecosystem kind of works together to produce this product. And I, I, I feel like if you have a deeper understanding of the materials you're using, uh, not only will that broaden your appreciation for them, but it will also kind of up your game uh, skill-wise. You, you'll just have a, a more innate understanding of, of the materials. Yeah. Uh, so the book I'm reading uh, that by him right now is called Winter World. It, it really has nothing to do with craftsmanship. And he is not... Um, he's not a woodworker per se, even though he built his cabin with, you know, his own two hands and an ax and a chainsaw, uh, which gives him some, some street cred. <laughs> Sounds uh, like a woodworker. Yeah. But, um, I just, uh, really enjoy his, his writing. Um, and it's really eye opening. So check him out. Bern Heinrich. How do you spell his last name? Uh, H E I N R I C H. Okay. Awesome. And we'll put a link to... Um, these different books we're mentioning too down yeah. in our blog post. So yeah, um, we the, the theme of this particular episode that we wanted to tackle was tradition and innovation in woodworking. Uh, that's something that we talk about a lot just between the two of us and uh, between us and our readers. It's something that comes up a lot. Um, and so we wanted to take this episode to kind of have a little conversation about the things we're hearing, the questions we're getting, and some of our thoughts about them. So I, we kind of had a few questions we want to bounce back uh, against each other. So the first question on our list um, is, what do you think the right relationship is between uh, tradition and innovation and woodworking? What would you say that is, Mike? 
<laughs> oh, you're saying what is the correct answer to that question? What is the correct? <laughs> yeah. What do you think? I yeah. Um, you know, all all questions like this, I always look at it like how is it framed? Um, you know, to kind of get at the the root of what the question is about, because so often uh, these kind of things can't just be answered quickly or briefly. Um, so to say what is the right relationship seems to indicate that there is a wrong relationship between innovation right. and tradition. Um, uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure that there is. I know everything that we consider traditional now was considered uh, innovative at some point. Um, I think it really has to do with, with your focus in woodworking, what you're pursuing. Uh, if you are pursuing uh, traditional woodworking, hand tool woodworking, obviously there are some boundaries to that uh, in terms of modern innovations. Um, you won't pursue the latest and greatest, you know, 20 inch joiner because you have made a conscious decision to, uh, you know, basically cut off your use of innovation at maybe, you know, the end of the 19th century or something like that. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I definitely that my thoughts on that would, you know, echo what you're saying. Um, I think, the, you know, I was thinking about it in terms of defining tradition, because that mm -hmm. sometimes is uh, a little confusing, too. And if if we define tradition, I think tradition is basically the anything that's a, uh, a skill or a belief or something that's passed down through generations. Mm. I don't know how many generations. Right. It's kind of sort of open. <clears throat> yeah. What it's, what it's, what becomes tradition? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's it is something that's passed down. So that's where it gets into a gray area. Um, and then innovation. I, I guess the thing I would say about innovation is, um, like what you were saying, that um, you know, something that's a tradition now was an innovation in the past. Right. And so if we look at what innovation is today, uh, it's not some. It's not creation ex nihilo. It's not it's not creation right. out of thin air. Right. It is building on uh, the the traditions that have been the, the traditional knowledge we've already gained. So innovation is built on knowledge we already have. Mm. Um, and I think that that's an important thing to to remember. Um, it's also sometimes I think a merging of disciplines. So you have, you know, whatever a, a blacksmith or a painter or whatever and a woodworker. And it's somebody who can see these two different disciplines and bring these things together to innovate out of some traditional knowledge, even if the tradition is 50 years old or something, you know, we, that's where innovation comes out of. And I guess, you know, what the, the, I think a lot of times the question comes to me out of sort of like a, a this or that kind of thing. And it almost, I think the, the inherent, idea that some people have is that tradition means slavish copies of particular pieces of furniture right you know right like you're gonna this make a style yeah yeah you're gonna be uh totally bound to this one particular style these details and it's just mindlessness you hmm. just do whatever it says just because yeah but the whole idea of tradition built into tradition is something that there something's handed to you and you're taking it as your own and you're carrying it forward it's sort of that standing on the shoulders of your ancestors kinds yeah. of thing uh, kind of thing and you know i think that that's part of that's built into to tradition so you're not a, a slave to it but it's something that 
you participate in, I guess. And it does make me think, um, uh, in issue two, George Walker put a really great quote in here from uh, G.K. Chesterton. <clears throat> and Chesterton said, in George's article here, he put, it says, uh, let's see, uh, Chesterton said, tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. I love that. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a, a quotable quote. That's, yeah, it is. Um, but I love it. It's, you know, basically tradition in Chesterton's mind here is not saying you just mindlessly follow someone else and they just tell you what to do. But it means giving votes to those who have gone before. It means mm. uh, seeing what has happened before you, seeing that as valid. Right. And I think that's the heart of what tradition is. Um, and innovation is building on tradition. Right. So, yeah. And honest innovation would would acknowledge that, you know, they, uh, the the saying necessity is the mother of invention. Um, I, I feel like in this day and age, it it's becoming less and less true. I feel like necessity in the West is not uh, necessarily the driving force behind innovation anymore. And so that's an important thing that, you know, we should all consider, you know, what what is driving our desire for innovation? Is it is it to streamline a process? Is it to add more enjoyment to the process that we're doing? Right. Um, is it to to broaden uh, either the appeal or the audience? Um, if so, then it may very well be a good thing. But if uh if what's driving our desire for innovation is more a, a desire to be, you know, keep up with everyone who's who's sticking up with the latest and the greatest or, oh, this is last year's model. I need the next year's model. Right. Um, maybe that's a place where we should, uh, you know, step back and, and really question what we're after, what we're all about in this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Do you do you think that. Uh, in woodworking today is innovation overemphasized um well i I think in my experience i've seen it emphasized a lot yeah Um, most of the people i know are not couldn't be accused of being stuck in being too traditional most people that i'm aware of are always um seem to be pushing and trying to explore new territory that's never been done. And that's where they kind of put their focus and their energy. Um, but I was thinking about, you know, there's a Gustav, Mal- <clears throat> uh, Gustav Mahler quote that he was talking about tradition. And he said, tradition is not the worship of ashes, but the preservation of fire. Ooh. And I, I think that's really good to be thinking about, you know, the emphasizing innovation sometimes for some people looks like they're painting tradition or respecting tradition as worshiping ashes they're saying those things are gone they're they're obsolete now um, but really it's kindling kindling the fire uh, that tradition has so I, I do see that and I think I see it you know you see it in advertisements you see tool companies yeah. saying yeah. oh you want this laser guided you know, diamond plated yeah. doohickey thing or you won't be able to or you know and that kind of advertising i think is uh indicative of 
what kind of goes on in our hearts that yeah. we want the the newest thing and we want to see that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I do think that I see a lot of people striving for innovation and kind of leaving the past in the past and mm -hmm. not thinking about it much. I mean, is that what, what you would say? Yeah, I, I, I would, um, you know, in, in every pursuit, uh, you know, take, uh, running, if you're a runner, uh, innovation is massively emphasized. You know, everyone wants to reinvent the running shoe. Everyone wants to reinvent running gear when what you're talking about is just about the simplest thing imaginable, taking off and going at a fast pace up the road or up a trail or something. Um, but in order for, for companies to be um, profitable, to get their name out there, uh, they need to appear to be doing things that no one else is doing. Um, so uh, yeah, we definitely see that in woodworking and, and other places. But, but then you got like this barefoot running movement. Right, right. And, you know, and I think that that's, that's, I think the other side of the coin that, yes, I think the majority of people are focused on innovation and not particularly focused on tradition. Mm. But then you have this movement of people that are sort of, it's sort of a reaction to that. And you got yeah. barefoot runners, you got hand tool woodworkers, you yeah. got uh, back to the land farmers, you got whatever, all these right. people that are saying, you know what? I don't want to eat my beans out of a can and run with these plastic shoes and yeah. build with, you know, CNC machines. There's sort of a reaction to that. So there, there is a movement that way too. Yeah, totally. And, and I think the, the healthy place to be is even if you find yourself say in the barefoot running camp, how, how do you, um, how do you maintain your position there? Are, you know, are you doing it in a way that's gracious? Or are you just drawing a hard line and being a hard nose and being standoffish about your decision and, uh, you know, writing off everyone who disagrees with you? Or is it more of a conversation? Is it something that you're you're open to engaging other people about with the desire to uh, just have, you know, mutual understanding about, you know, as I'm saying, barefoot running? but hand tool woodworking or other things. You know, yeah. Joshua and I love uh, hand tool woodworking because we enjoy it. And we feel like other people can enjoy it as well if they get past a lot of the hurdles that uh, say innovation kind of lays in the path of someone who wants to take this up. Um, you know, there are some skills to learn. There are some things uh, that you have to get past to to start to see the bigger picture but um you know we don't want to be holding ourselves in a corner or or you know circling the wagons and saying all right all you guys are out there all the hand tool people come in here and you know yeah right <laughs> go forward like that so anyway yeah i mean i think that is um that kind of spirit is definitely uh, you know sometimes what we found you know, you start talking about, I only use hand tools and people think, oh, you're just some, right, right. some purist snob yeah. kind of guy. And, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't have to be that way. And no. it, it's really sad when I see that kind of thing and in us and them kind of thing. Yeah. Um, we don't have any desire to use power tools. Right. But don't care if anybody else does. Right, right. <laughs> so if you love it, you know, but just just listen to us talk about the merits of the the coarse ripsaw. <laughs> yeah. Just you know, 
listen to our little sales pitch. Uh, so uh, along those lines, what do traditional crafts have to teach us? To teach, what do they have? What do they offer? Yeah. Um, they don't have to teach us anything. What, uh, what do they have? Yeah, to, what do to, they have to offer? Um, I think for me, I can answer it for me and what I was looking for in that. <clears throat> and I think primarily what I was looking for was learning to use my own two hands to make something. Mm. Um, I was trained on machines and I made I made a guitar. I made a really cool guitar, um, but I used a lot of jigs and machines to do it that got set up by actually by somebody else. And I just got in line and it, it wasn't really satisfying to me. Um, I really wanted to be able to <clears throat> sharpen an edge and uh, learn to use these tools and, and just my two hands to, to make something. So it, it definitely, in a very obvious way, does that. It teaches you to those um, that tacit knowledge that you understand the tool and the material, and you can kind of intuit how the material is going to respond based on previous experience. And I mean, that to me is one of the big ones. That yeah. is, is this hand skill kind of thing. Yeah. You know. I mean, I don't know. What would you? Yeah. Say? I um. It's it's taught me. Uh, to value skill and to value uh, those who possess these skills that I don't have, especially um, our an our ancestors, like the the Chesterton quote said, um, to look back and and to consider, um, you know, we have we have all these artifacts today that are two, three, four hundred years old and more, and to consider how these things were made. In the time in which they were made um, and the skill required the knowledge and mastery of materials required uh is is mind-boggling it is so humbling yeah um and that i i i just see it as you know the the tradition of handcrafts connecting you to uh humanity um there's a, a quote here in issue three um of the magazine from ken courtmeyer who now runs the um, Maine Coast Craft School. Uh, and he says, <clears throat> to have something that has the marks of the maker still, marks that haven't been sanded or machined away, there is an aliveness and a connection to the maker there. There's something basic to our humanness in manipulating tools and materials and engaging the process of making tangible things. This is essential human work. And I think... Um, coming to a place where you uh, appreciate the skill involved in making, you know, if we're talking about furniture or other handcrafts, um, you really see looking back through history that this is what has defined humanity, like right. creativity. That's all we have left of, of past cultures. I mean, we can, we can uh, dig up an archaeological site and find, you know, foundations and things like that. But what we have left of culture is you know the way craftspeople throughout the centuries have formed natural materials um, into something beautiful, right. and that is that that's what connects us all as human beings. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely agree with that. I think, uh, at least for me, learning to use hand tools, learning to work within a tradition, 
it was has been humbling. Mm, yes, because it's not, <laughs> it's not me and the, I'm the creative artist and I have all, all these ideas that I want to achieve that came out of my navel or something. Right, right, right. Uh, when you're working in a tradition, you're you're naturally looking to others to say, "Teach me. What right. do I have to learn here? I'm a blank slate. I'm trying to wipe myself clear here to learn from you." Um, and it, you know, whenever when I was starting this, I kept thinking of. Um, C.S. Lewis's uh, what he called chronological snobbery mm. that um, the way he defined it, he said it's the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our own age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that account discredited, meaning if it's old, it's inferior. Yeah, it's old. It's gone. It's past. We're, we're up beyond those people. We're smarter than them now. Right. So there's this chronological snobbery he talks about. And I felt like that a lot. I thought about that a lot when I was learning hand tools that I can't have that attitude. I have to learn to look honestly at the, you know, thousands of years of crafts people that came before me and say, teach me. I don't know any of this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe not everybody has that relationship to it. But to me, that was very obvious that wow i i need to just be quiet and look and learn yeah so yeah absolutely yeah but i think that um not all hand tools are fun they're really cool it's it's a blast doing it i love resawing even though it's because it's something that people say oh you can't do it takes right. forever and i love yeah. doing it yeah um however in all honesty, there are downsides, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what would you say the downsides would be to working in traditional ways, whether it's techniques or design or whatever, um, working in traditional ways rather than constantly striving toward uh, innovative ways of working? Yeah. Um, some downsides. Uh, yeah, I, again, it does go back to, um, you know, mentality and what you're trying to pursue. Uh, speed can be a factor. Um, you know, uh, if you, if you set the experience of using these tools aside, it is definitely faster to, uh, you know, rip a piece of eight quarter oak on a table saw than by hand. As I said, set, set the experience aside. So if you are, uh, trying to move through a project quickly, um, I think that there is, you know, an argument can be made in that direction that power tools uh, can certainly give you an edge, especially if you're making several things, if you're making multiples. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's a quantity thing. If, yeah. If you're definitely, if you're trying to set up a factory, there's no yeah. question. Yeah. The efficiency gets lost, I think, when you're yeah. Yeah. cutting and, dovetails. I mean... Yeah, you totally. Just yeah, cut a dovetail. The joint, dovetail jig. No thanks. Squaring everything up first, and uh, yeah, forget all that. So. Everyone out there who has mastered the use of a dovetail jig, you are far more intelligent than I am. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh my goodness, definitely. Um, but yeah, I uh, other other downsides. Um, what do you think? I mean, I, I always think one of the most common things I hear is, "How are you ever going to make a living working that way?" Mm. And I guess I always say, are you trying to make a living building furniture? Right. I know. I mean, I'm not. That's not why I build furniture. Mm -hmm. There are people out there that 
are, you know, building furniture to put food on their table. And I under totally understand whatever decisions they make to expedite that process. But 99% of us who are woodworkers aren't trying to make a living at it. And so I think that that observation is less relevant. But for those that are trying to make a living at it, it's hard. I think yeah. it's harder because yeah. you have to, it takes for some things, it needs, it takes more time. And so you need to price it in the right. art market. Yeah. All of a sudden your bowls are specialty <clears throat> yeah. 200 $300 wooden bowls. Yeah. You know, why do they have to be that expensive? Yeah. Well, because you're choosing to use a different process or right. whatever. Exactly. Um, so you kind of have to, it's hard then because you do have to price it high. Um, higher than the mass-produced plastic stuff around yeah, us. Yeah, and you need you need to <laughs> but, find the customers who appreciate that, who will look at something that's handmade, see it for being handmade with its quirks and small imperfections, right. and appreciate that. You know, it's like uh, Joshua, you you like alluding to handmade pottery a right. lot, and the beauty in the fact that you can see the impressions of the artist's hands. Uh, in the piece of work. Um, I think, you know, the the aesthetic of handmade furniture, especially made in, in the traditional way of having the secondary surfaces rough, um, you and I, we, we really appreciate that. We love seeing right. those tool marks and things like that. But in a world today that is uh, so, not obsessed, but so familiar with the machine mass produced pieces of furniture right. where Every single surface everywhere is, you know, completely, you know, it's like a, a a laminated veneer or whatever. You know, there is nothing left of any kind of tool marking or that I would say evidence that anyone ever. Made ev it. Yeah, there are no human beings involved in the making of this furniture. Um, you know, it can be a difficult thing to to steer someone's sense of aesthetic, I guess. To, yeah. to, to help them to understand what's going on in a handmade piece of furniture. They'd look underneath and go, whoa, are you, you done there? Or what, you have more work to do underneath? Or, yeah, right. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know, though, that I would call that a downside. I think it's more uh, a place where more education is needed, maybe. Yeah. I'd say it's definitely a challenge. Yeah. It's a challenge that any maker that they would have to tackle, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the best kind of marketing anyways is education based marketing where you're just teaching everybody about what the process is and people go whoa that's yeah. awesome i i want to <clears throat> i want that yeah i want to support that it's a fascinating process yeah i i mean i look at sort of the 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 spoon carving community as sort of a um a microcosm of this whole thing where you know what people looking in on this movement would say, why on earth would somebody be spending like 40 bucks for a spoon, you know, to eat their breakfast granola and yogurt? Like what on <laughs> earth? I can buy a box of, you know, the, the whole table setting, the spoons, forks, and the knives down at the big box store. I can pay like 12 bucks for, you know, 36 pieces or whatever. Yeah, right. Um, what is going on there? Uh, but People are people are getting it. People are understanding, uh, you know, within this this little very simple seeming bowl with a stick uh, handle um, that there's a lot more going on there. And I think that uh, it's really an encouraging thing to see. People are valuing the craft 
the craftsmanship that goes into just making a spoon. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the only other thing I would say about a downside to to hand tool woodworking is it is physical work. Mm. Uh, so you know it's it's not a downside for somebody who loves running or exercise or biking or anything like that. You know they would they wouldn't see that as a downside, but there are definitely a lot of people that have certain physical limitations, and so some of these things are going to be much harder for them to to do right. uh, whether it's long endurance planing if you're going to be planing rough stock all day long you're spending eight hours planing that is a lot of work mm -hmm. um, and i definitely have heard that from people that they really struggle with that so that is a downside one of the advantages to hand tool woodworking is you don't have to treat it in such compartmentalized process that you only do all the stock prep first and then you do all the joinery and then you you can just mix and match and keep changing tasks. Yep. So that helps, but it's definitely yeah. more physical work than yep. standing at a machine and feeding a piece of wood through for sure. Yeah. And it's it's funny going back through some of the uh, the video shots that we have um, because we filmed the tables uh, video in what, June, July, something. Oh yeah. And when we filmed it, you know, we have this small studio space, this 14 by 17 foot space, and we have to close all the windows and doors, uh, so we don't get wind noise or things like that, <laughs> uh, road noise. And so here's Joshua ripping and, and doing a lot of heavy planing. And it's like 90 degrees in here with not a lick <laughs> of wind, no breeze at all. And you know he's he's trying to look cool, <laughs> but it was it was warm. I was just standing behind the camera and I was sweating. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it uh, it is it is work, um, but that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. So then, uh, do do other people ever ask you, or I'll just ask you. Do you ever feel tempted to cheat and use power tools? Maybe while no one's looking <laughs> to cheat, to cheat. Um, is that cheating? Is it cheating? I mean, I, I do get asked that question a lot um, because I think it's there's always like this like gotcha thing. Oh, yeah. You know, if I post, I remember one. I time, see a cordless yeah. screw gun there. Yeah. Right. I was it's a violation was a picture of me working at a workbench one time. I posted on social media and someone saw a, a, um an extension cord in the background of the picture and they said ah gotcha you know see you got a power cord there you're a hypocrite yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> i think they were it was tongue-in-cheek but you know there is always this sort of uh this challenge are you cheating or you know that kind of thing um and i guess i would say like if i don't really think of it as cheating because if i wanted to use power tools i would just use them mm -hmm. right I just don't feel tempted to use them. So I don't feel like cheating. Cheating is to me is like, if you actually want to do something. Yeah. But you're for whatever other reason, restricting yourself <laughs> yeah. from it. And then you cheat a little bit and you yeah. just do it. It has a sense of like desire. You're on a diet and you're intentionally depriving yourself of something. So when you cheat, you use that, which you actually, you really want to do, but oh, then you got to go back on your diet. That that's not the mindset. We're not, we're not like looking longingly at people's table saws yeah, like, right. oh man, if only. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really take no delight in using machines. 
Right. I, just, I really don't enjoy it. Um, it can be very practical in some contexts, but I just, I try to avoid those contexts, right. fr frankly. I yeah. mean, um, I, I don't, if I have to use a table saw or a router for something, some big carpentry project or something like that, I just want to get it done and move on so I can do something that I enjoy. Right. Um, so th that to me, I think is the answer. No, I don't really feel tempted to use machines because I don't really enjoy using machines. Right. So for me, you know, I, I think it's important to also qualify. For me, furniture making is in a different category mm. for others than mm -hmm. other things. So if I'm doing some carpentry project, I don't really have any like uh, philosophical stance where I'm not going to use a machine for something. I don't like it, but for furniture making, for me, I've sort of adopted uh, a policy to not use machines because I'm I'm ch challenging myself to explore, to interact with traditional methods and my ancestors. So when I'm building furniture, for me, it's it's different. Also, it helps that I'm not a factory. I'm only building one piece at a time, mm. and so I don't really feel like, oh man, I don't want to make this five foot long rip cut that's terrible i wish i had a table saw right now right i don't have that much quantity to work through so no i don't really feel tempted i guess in that situation that context yeah yeah i mean if if it's a situation where you're you're uh building a new uh you know a new fenced in area for your chickens to roam right you know we're gonna use cordless screw gun and torque screws yeah um but other contexts we we're not feeling like we're depriving ourselves by using hand tools. We're, we're using them because we enjoy them. So yeah, that... I, I would, I would definitely say uh, it would be pretty hard. I think for anyone to convince me that they really think using a table saw is that much more enjoyable and satisfying than a finely tuned yeah. hand saw. Yeah. I mean, I've never heard anybody say, oh, wow, that experience of running a piece of wood to the table saw. Yeah. You should have been oh, there. Yeah. It's just, oh, it's you got to try this. tactile thing. Tactile right? thing. No. <laughs> but I constantly hear people saying, oh, wow, what a satisfying thing to, to take a freshly tuned saw and yeah. move through wood. And you just feel so empowered. I hear yeah. that all the time. Yeah. So. And uh, the other thing I would say is uh, it's much less terrifying to rip something by hand than it is to run it through a table. <laughs> So I, yeah, they're not trying to kill you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I have uh, worked in a, you know, in my in my work at a table saw and had it do some, uh, you know, frightening things. And I have seen and heard of other frightening things that they have done. And it's very hard to do those frightening things with a handsaw. Basically, yeah. you're sawing and then something frightening starts to happen and then you just stop sawing. Uh, so, it, you know, in that example, I would let my 10 year old use a handsaw. Right. He's not going near a table saw, right. uh, as long as I'm in charge. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that that's a really good conversation to have to, to get people talking about that. We've talked, we talk about it all the time, yeah. um, how traditional methods relate to our, the woodworking culture around us. Um, so if you have additional comments and observations you want to contribute, please, please uh, uh, send us a comment on the blog or, you know, wherever you're, you're hearing this um, comment and, and participate along. We want to keep talking about this topic because yeah. we are really passionate about this. We think it's um, it's a really satisfying and empowering thing for it people. Is. 
So uh, thank you so much for listening uh, to the Mortis and Tenon podcast. Uh, this was a fun episode. Yeah. I really, I like this. This was, a, I think we're going to keep doing this. We might. We might just do it again. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you for your feedback uh, thus far. Continue to leave comments and encouragement. Help us figure out how to do this so we can make it even better for you. Um, and if you haven't yet already, uh, please subscribe and, and follow so that you don't miss any episodes because we have a lot of fun interacting with people. Yeah. So you can look us up on iTunes or Stitcher or you can follow our blog. Every time we post an, an episode, we'll let you know about yeah. it on Instagram. So uh, keep keep in touch and uh, keep following along and uh, make sure to send us your, your thoughts and your messages. So thanks for listening. Yeah, take care. Mm-hmm.